nice to uh, be with you again. See you all uh, this evening. Thanks for uh, coming for uh, this time of Bible teaching. Now, uh, we had our Riverside um, weekend away. Um, so there was a lot of indulgence in the sun yesterday uh, and in food and in late nights. So please bear with me. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get going in a good way uh, this evening. Now, uh, it's a good start when uh, the passage that you've prepared for is introduced. Uh, so that, that was uh, comforting. Uh, so we're going to be um, in Thess- 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, reading from uh, verse... 6, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, reading from verse 6, and we are uh, going from verse 6 down to uh, verse 12. So, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, I'm reading uh, from the CSB translation this evening, and uh, this is what Paul writes. Now, we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled, working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good and we give God uh, thanks for uh, his word this evening now uh, it might seem at first reading if you were to pick up uh, second Thessalonians for the first time it might seem like a rather odd uh, kind of uh, passage now we're not going to make too much uh, introduction I'm sure you've had uh, ample introduction of uh, first and Uh, Second Thessalonians, the reason that these letters were uh, written, it's pretty obvious as you read them why they uh, were written. But given the context of why they were written, why do we get this kind of um, strange little section where Paul is commanding uh, the believers there in Thessalonica that they should be working the focus of course in particular is is secular work not so much spiritual work and labor in the assembly though uh, we could of course make application there but secular work Uh, if we were to ask people uh, about the attributes of what christian uh, being a christian should be and then we read them verses like that we have here in second uh, thessalonians chapter three that if someone is not willing to work they shouldn't eat uh, i suspect it would uh, rather cut across uh, the the idea of what a christian should be that we are as we read elsewhere in scripture to do good to all uh, men uh, especially those of 
the household of faith. We are to be those that look out for those that are in need. We are, uh, uh, and indeed following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, his focus, his, his attention was on the marginalized of society, the poor of society, the downtrodden in society, those that are not valued by society. They are the kind of people that the Lord Jesus Christ had his focus and attention on. And yet we come to this passage and we have uh, on multiple occasions really an explicit warning to the people in Thessalonica that if they are not working then neither should they be uh, eating. Uh, so it's a kind of strange little uh, section uh, and we need to understand why it is that Paul has written this to uh, these believers. Now uh, if we were to give a title uh, to this section I think there's many different titles uh, that we could uh, use. The importance of, uh, of work for the believer uh, and, and so on. And while of course the focus is on work, I think it's really an insight or introduction to a bigger subject and that of, of uh, Christian diligence, if you like, the need for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to be diligent. We could speak about self-control, we could speak about being sober-minded and uh, while the particular focus here uh, and we'll see that as we go through these verses is the subject of work and the importance of work uh, we can certainly make application that there is something bigger in view and that is that Christians need to be disciplined and they need to be uh, diligent we see that there is an expectation here that work for the people of God is the norm and it is the expectation for, uh, for us all. Uh, as I'm sure you've seen, this letter uh, would have followed on pretty uh, closely after 1 Thessalonians was written. Not universal agreement as to, to when and where it was written, but it seems pretty clear that it was written uh, very closely on the back of the first uh, letter of Paul to these Christians in Thessalonica. It's clearly the case that persecution uh, was an issue and is still an issue. We see that in uh, chapter one of, of this letter. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in all persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. It is clear also that false teaching has continued despite the letter and instruction that Paul has sent to these Christians in Thessalonica and in particular about the subject of, of the return of the Lord. It is clear that it hasn't solved the issues of, uh, of false teaching and we get that in uh, chapter Two, uh, and it seems to be the case that there are people writing letters to the church at Thessalonica under false pretenses claiming uh, to be writing on the behalf of uh, the Apostle Paul. And so there continues to be misunderstanding about the imminent 
return of uh, the Lord. And then we come into uh, chapter 3, where we are in in our section uh, in uh, particular. And I think the reason that Paul writes about this subject here is that because the return of the Lord is imminent. Now, notice the language of Scripture. The return of the Lord is imminent. That doesn't mean it is soon. And that's an important distinction that we must make. I am sure we all believe that it is soon. We look at the world around us today and we believe it is soon. But the teaching of Scripture is that the return of the Lord is imminent. And that means it could be at any time and at any moment. Uh, While it might not necessarily be that it is soon, though I uh, am sure... Uh, As I've said, we all have that expectation. But in the light of the imminent return of the Lord, in the light of the imminent return of the Lord, how should we behave? What is it that we should spend our time doing? How is it that we should be occupied as Christians? There are some groups that, uh, uh, that would predict days and times and moments when the return of the Lord is going to be and they withdraw themselves from society and, and, and live in some kind of, of commune and maybe sit around the campfire holding hands waiting for the return of the Lord. But Paul gives clear instruction here about the kind of behaviours that should be seen and expected uh, from Christians because of the imminent uh, return of the Lord and the emphasis here of course correcting errors that had uh, grown in Thessalonica is that in the light of the imminent return of the Lord there should be no evidence of slothfulness there should be no laziness that is seen amongst us but there should be discipline and there should be right uh, conduct And the point that Paul is making is that while they are waiting for the return of the Lord, of course, the error in uh, chapter one uh, in in the first letter or the false teaching in the first letter was that some had taught it had already happened. And Paul has corrected that. So in the light of waiting for the return of the Lord, they need to have the right behavior. Paul had touched on this very briefly in 1st Thessalonians and we see that in uh, chapter 4 and in uh, verse 11 that they should seek to lead a quiet life to mind their own business and to work with their own hands as we commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone so he's touched on the subject that he deals with in these verses but he now does so in a much fuller Sense, I assume the point being that the instruction given in the first letter had not hit its mark. It had not hit home. And the kind of error that he was trying to correct was still error now in Thessalonica. And clearly, some people were choosing a lifestyle of, uh, we might say, laziness. They were choosing a 
lifestyle where uh, I assume they were just sitting around uh, waiting for the return of the Lord, not really doing uh, a great deal. Could this be evangelist that he are speaking that that he's speaking about here? Well, it could uh, it could be, but I don't think that's really the focus of uh, the passage. I think what we see in the passage, the character of the people that he is trying to correct, uh, their conduct that he's trying to correct, are those that have given a a, a false response or, or have given a response to false teaching and that is the problem of false teaching is it creates erroneous behavior in us and if we listen to false teaching and false teachers then it's very clearly the case that wrong doctrine will create wrong practice and the wrong doctrine that these people were listening to uh, was very much creating uh, wrong practice. Now, as I've said, the focus, the, 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 the very specific focus of these verses is the issue of uh, work. Now, before we go verse by verse uh, through these verses, let me just make a few general comments from Scripture uh, about work and uh, uh, what what. The tenor of scripture would say um, about work. I suppose the first thing we could say, and you might not like to hear this, but the first thing that we can say is that work is the expected norm. It is the expected norm. It has ever been so. We don't work as a result of sin. We don't work as a result of the fall. If you remember uh, in those early chapters of the book of Genesis, the creation uh, story, God took Adam and put him in a garden. And what was the instruction that was given to him? It was to work it and to keep it. Before sin ever came in, it was the expected thing of mankind that mankind would be engaged in labor and in effort. Now, of course, it is the case that that labor and effort became so much harder because of the fall. We know that um, uh, the, the effects of the fall are seen uh, in creation, the curse that is pronounced on this earth weeds and thistles and thorns and so on that grow up and particularly for those engaged in that kind of agrarian subsistence living work became so much harder but people did not start to work because of sin it was and I suggest still is the expected norm for society and for everybody in uh, society and let me uh, let me say this uh, and my intention is not to to get into uh, politics uh, if you want to, to speak about politics I, I would be happy to do so uh, but it's not my occupation uh, in the half hour or so uh, that is uh, left but I think we can say this we can certainly say this on the authority of scripture 
that where there is no desire to work, uh, there is societal breakdown. And we see that in different places in the world and in different places in uh, our own country. That should not be a surprise to us. Now, I think you would agree uh, that it's also the case that we live in a rights culture. Uh, you can't really watch the news on any particular day without human rights being uh, spoken about in one way or another. And it seems that everybody knows their rights. These are my rights. These are my human rights. Now, there's many aspects of human rights that are very, very important and have brought great protection to, to, to huge areas of um, society. But, but, it seems to me to be the case that while we live in a rights culture, we have certainly lost a responsibility culture. And it's really a one-sided argument that prevails in our day and age that rights and my rights are all that matters and my rights can trump everything else. And there's never a dialogue about responsibility. Well, we see very clearly in scripture that work is one such responsibility for society in general. We see, uh, and moving on from, from the book of Genesis, we see that there is inequality in society. And we see that God makes provision for inequality in society. Now, we don't have time to, to, to think about the year of Jubilee and restitution for for, for those who had lost uh, or, or given up land and possessions and, uh, and so on. But what is very clear in Scripture is that provision is made for the poor. Provision is made for the poor. But, and it's an important but, it is not some kind of hand out that the workers go out to work and the people who don't want to work sit at home and their grain and seed is dropped off at their door and life is happy for everybody. That's not a scriptural argument and a scriptural basis of work. What is presented to us in the scriptures is that all, everybody, should have an opportunity to provide food for their needs. And I'm thinking now in particular of Ruth's day. And you'll remember what Ruth was engaged in and occupied in. She was an outcast of society because of her heritage. She was also a widow, and in that day that meant destitution. But what was she engaged in? She was engaged in picking up the, the wheat that had fallen by uh, the harvest, the edges of the field which were to be left and not harvested for the specific reason that those that were poor in society would have an opportunity, notice not through handouts but through labour and effort, would have an opportunity 
for food for themselves and to make provision uh, for their family. If we're to move on a little bit further on the subject of work and those wise sayings in the book of Proverbs, and we certainly wouldn't go into to any detail whatsoever now, but you will find that the book of Proverbs is replete with, with instruction, with wise sayings about the benefit of work that is linked to satisfaction, that is linked to prosperity. And you'll find time and time again in the book of Proverbs this idea of, of, of slothfulness and excuses for not to work. It is linked to poverty and it is linked to destitution. Now we could go on and on on the subject uh, of, of, of work from the scriptures but we must deal with the verses that are before us. But, but please understand uh, this this evening what we are speaking about is the expected norm we are speaking about the expected norm the normal pattern within society and for all of us as individuals within society there will always be in society some who cannot work for legitimate reasons health or illness perhaps and, and and other reasons beside there are other times and of course we've moved on from a kind of of agrarian economy where uh, everybody um, has their own plot of land and, and and makes provision for themselves we've moved on uh, from that but there are times of genuine economic hardship times of recession uh, where the economy is is faltering and failing and there are times of 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 true scarcity and it is right and fitting that uh, people uh, are looked after and provided uh, for in those sort of circumstances but that's not what we are speaking about we're speaking about the expected norm for all of us uh, within society and in particular for the example that we should set as Christians within society and those kind of exceptions should just be that they should be exceptions and they shouldn't be the norm when Paul launches into this uh, section that we've read in verse 6 he says now we command you we command you it is strong language uh, that is before us here in verse 6 and it is really strong language throughout uh, this section so I think we should get the impression that Paul is serious here now we know that Paul is serious throughout all of scripture but we should especially get the impression that Paul is serious about what he wants to convey here he doesn't want to shoot and miss as it were what does he command them he commands them that they should keep away that they should withdraw from somebody who is idle that word it literally means it's it's uh, as i understand a, a military term someone who is not keeping rank someone who is 
insubordinate. And from such a person, Paul commands them that they should keep away from them. This, as I've said, is strong stuff that is before us. That when somebody is willful and when somebody is deliberately choosing a course of action that is not good for them and it is not good for the church and it is not good for society, then there must be consequences of such an action. And that's what Paul is commanding these believers, that you must withdraw from such a person. We are not to associate with them. We are to avoid them. Now, you might be scratching your head at this point, because I take it that these are genuine believers that Paul is speaking about here. And as we said in introduction, surely there is a case that we should be looking out for our fellow brothers and sisters, that we should have a care and compassion for those that are in need, and indeed we should have. But the point that Paul is making here is that these people are willful and deliberate in their action, and they need to understand the consequence of willful and deliberate action in choosing not to work. And how are they going to understand that? Well, it's the idea of tough love that Paul is presenting to us. You know, when love is spoken about in society, it is spoken about as a, as a kind of thing where you love someone no matter what they choose, no matter what they do. You love them despite all of their faults and, and, and failings and you overlook all of the, 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 their error and their issues. Well, not so, says Paul, because in loving someone, sometimes it might mean tough choices. And every parent here uh, this evening, I think, could attest to this. There are times where tough love is needed with our children. Not because you want to punish them or have a great desire to punish them, but you know that a certain behavior needs to be corrected. And that's what Paul is presenting to these Thessalonian uh, believers. Now we might ask the question, why? Why should we take such a, a serious course of action? And I would suggest to you that the reason is because their behavior is corrosive within the church and by extension to society. You know it yourself in society in, in general, not specifically within the church, that when there is a feeling that people are playing the system, that they are getting something for nothing, it creates resentment, it creates discord, and it creates disharmony well so it is the case in the church where someone is willfully and deliberately choosing a course of action that is contrary to scripture it is corrosive in the church it is destabilizing when someone is not pulling 
wait for themselves or for their family it is destabilizing now as we've said several times there is specific context here in relation to work but surely we can make a wider application that where someone in the church is not pulling their weight where someone in the church is not carrying the load as it were it has a destabilizing influence on the church and is surely a cause to examine ourselves but as we said a couple of times already how do we square such an action that Paul is commanding the Thessalonian believers to take to withdraw from fellow Christians to avoid fellow Christians how do we square that with instruction that we get elsewhere in scripture to provide for need to support brothers and sisters who are in uh, need Paul says in 1st Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 he says if anyone does not provide for his own family especially for his own household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever that is the seriousness of what is before us this evening that the type of lifestyle that is being presented here is worse than the type of lifestyle that we would expect to see in an unbeliever we know in general in society there is an attitude that one should work and must work if one can work and therefore says Paul if we adopt such an attitude we are worse than an unbeliever so this lifestyle choice I think we can see very clearly is devastating both for the individual and for the wider church and for society then Paul goes on in verse 7 and he invokes a call to memory in these uh, Christians you remember Paul had had spent time in Thessalonica they knew him they knew his conduct they knew his behavior they knew what he was like amongst them and he calls that to their memory and he says you should imitate us we were not idle among you how good it must be if you're able to tell others that you should imitate me I wonder what it must take to get to such a position where you could say to fellow brothers and sisters that you should imitate me I'm certainly not going to do that this evening but Paul does that and he can do that and he calls to mind his behavior and his conduct amongst them and he says that you should imitate me the example that I gave you you should imitate me and let me just really make an encouragement to us all how good it is when there are brothers and sisters that are in our lives in different ways and have come across our pathway in different ways how good it is when they provide an example to us that we can imitate that we can follow that we can look up to this is the word to mimic it's where we get our word mimic from how good it is 
when there are brothers and sisters, and I'm sure you, like me, can readily call to mind people, whether in the church that we are members of or, or, or other Christians that have, have come across our pathway, how good it is when we can look up to people that we would be happy to mimic. May God give us help, maybe to provide an example that others would like to follow. Well, says Paul, imitate uh, me. Paul says we were not idle. It's virtually the same word that we had in verse 6. We were not ill-disciplined. We were not slack among you. Now we know from scripture that Paul was a tent maker. I'm sorry I was looking at that clock, not that clock, uh, and they're 10 minutes apart, so uh, I better speed up. But uh, we know uh, from scripture that Paul was a tent maker. He labored with his hands, practically speaking, he labored uh, with his hands. He makes that clear to them here that he was laboring amongst them and for them. He had a right of support. It would have been fully fitting if they had been able to support Paul in the work that he was engaged in. But his conduct, he stresses, was to show them the right way he was showing them by doing. You know, this evening we're here teaching the scriptures, teaching the word of God. And of course, that is entirely in keeping uh, with the biblical pattern but how much more powerful is it when someone lays down an example for us in their own conduct and we look to them and say yeah that is someone that I should follow well Paul could invoke that to memory we could expand on this point around the subject of, of, of so-called full-time work and full-time uh, workers. Now, we don't have a lot of time, but I think it's important, and, and please don't misunderstand me, I don't want to say something that, that offends or cuts a, a, a against or, or across a practice of, of support. But we do, I think, have a tradition that we've maybe continued since uh, Victorian days of sending individuals off to, to foreign lands in perpetuity and, uh, and, and support them financially from the day that they are sent off uh, until they are called uh, home. And of course, since Victorian days, particularly from the United Kingdom, we have seen the spread of the gospel around uh, the world but let me ask you the question what is the patterned practice that we have in scripture have you ever thought about it what is the patterned practice that we have in scripture well we get a pattern for us in the book of the acts you'll remember paul and barnabas they were commended from the church in antioch they go off on their journey and what do they do they go from place to place they preach the gospel but what do they do after a period of time they come back again to the church at antioch the missionary journey done 
the reason for which they were commended done and completed. Of course, they are further uh, sent out again from uh, Antioch, but their missionary journey completed and they returned to the church to give account. And there should be an accountability from someone that is sent out to the church from which they are commended. And often Paul labouring night and day with his hands, as he says here. That was the pattern that Paul desired to lay down to the Christians that he came into contact with or to the new converts that uh, he saw saved in different places. So what is the pattern that we should uh, see today? Now, of course, in 3 John, we get a, 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 an emphasis that, that hospitality for those that are laboring in the word is a good thing and a right thing. But it seems clear from the book of the Acts that the general pattern of those that go out, whether it be to foreign lands or to other places for the furtherance of the gospel, is that first and foremost... They should aim to support themselves through labour and toil of some description where that's not possible. Of course, it is right and fitting that the church is able to support in some way. But there is, as far as I can see, no pattern that is laid down in Scripture where someone is sent in perpetuity to another land and is supported in perpetuity for all of that time. Now this is not criticism, it's really perhaps to get you to think about the patterns that are laid down for us in Scripture and I leave that for your consideration but there is undoubtedly accountability from the church that commends to those that are sent out and there should be a return from being sent out to the church that commends. That's a very clear pattern that we have in scripture on the other hand and maybe this is controversial but paul makes clear in 1 timothy chapter 5 in particular those that labor in overseer capacity those that labor in the word and in doctrine in particular should be counted worthy in particular of financial support not some kind of paid pastor that he's speaking about there but some kind of support for those in overseer capacity serving as elders in the local church. That, I would suggest, is a clear pattern that we have in Scripture. And we do well to reflect on this uh, from time to time. Now, I digress. We must move on. And in verse 8, Paul says, We didn't eat bread. <clears throat> we didn't eat anyone's food free of charge. Now, what does he mean? What does he uh, mean? This must be a whole lot of fun inviting Paul over for dinner. And uh, he calculates the cost of the meal that you've provided for him and says, OK, uh, my portion would have been about £3.50. So I'm going to square you up before I leave the door. I don't think uh, that's quite what Paul is, uh, is, is speaking about uh, here. Paul did not presume on the hospitality of these new Christians. 
And what he's saying is he was an absolute example to them of integrity and of probity. No one, but no one could lay a charge or an accusation that Paul was in this thing for the money. No one could bring that to Paul's charge. That he was engaged in the proclamation of the gospel and the teaching of the word of God and he was doing it for the money. No one could bring that to Paul's charge. And that is the whole realm of false religion that is in the world today. It is about money and it is about power. I have travelled to countries and there is a Forbes rich list of pastors from a particular country, a Forbes rich list of pastors. That is what false religion looks like, that they are in it for the money. Says Paul, I am an absolute example of probity, probity and integrity when I was among you. No one could lay this to his charge. How sobering that is for us all to reflect on. This is the height of the example that Paul presents here. This idea of labouring and toil. It's the idea of, of labouring to the point of pain. To physical exhaustion. That was what he did to leave them with an example. How much effort do we expend in rendering service to God? Paul could say that he laboured to the point of exhaustion. And in verse 9, his effort was to leave them an example that they could follow. Now we need to, to sum this up. And there is some repetition here, such as the, the, the stress and import of what Paul is saying. But in verse 9, we did it to make ourselves an example to you. How often are we deliberate? in our actions in order to leave an example that others might follow certainly a question we can ask ourselves then in verse 10 to 12 uh, we we get really a summing up of the work and toil that paul was uh, engaged in now as we've said a ready accusation leveled against Christians is that you need to show love, you need to show kindness. Surely that's what being a Christian is all about, showing love, showing kindness. But Paul re-emphasizes that showing love does not mean taking the easy way out. It does not mean overlooking the faults or failures of fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love may mean tough choices and we're confronted with one here in this closing section of our passage and so tough is this choice that Paul is presenting to us he's saying that if someone doesn't want to work then they shouldn't eat if you don't want to work then neither should you eat that's what Paul is saying here and I ask again the question how can we square this 
with the wider tenor of scripture, with the conduct of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the expectation that is placed on us as believers to have open eyes to see need around us and to respond to that need. This person might be hungry, he might need food, but the point is he is choosing not to work. And Paul says we should never pander to such a person. Clearly this person could work because they've made a deliberate choice not to work. What's more, instead of working, it's not that they are doing nothing, but they're engaged in being a busy body. When you look up that word, it's quite interesting. It literally means that they are working around work. They are doing everything physically, humanly speaking, possible but work. They are working around work. They are working on everything but their own work. They are fully occupied but not on labour and providing for themselves and for their families. And Paul says, Paul says to them, they need to see the error of their ways. That doesn't mean I would judge that we can't encourage someone. That might mean that we need to come alongside and, 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 and teach and encourage. But there comes a point. There comes a point where we must be willful and deliberate in our actions. Not to overlook and not to pander to those who make willful and deliberate choices that are not good for them. That are not good for the church and are not good for society. I wonder how often we think about this dimension of being a Christian kind of, kind of cuts across the, the, the prevailing culture and, and, and thought of our day of what a Christian should look like. But this is Paul's lesson for us, if you like, in tough love. Now, our time has gone there is much more i think that could and should have uh, been said on this but paul and you'll get this next week he sums up in verse 13 brothers and sisters do not grow weary in doing good paul is not trying to create some kind of hard nosed christians that are out for themselves and are blind to need that is around them that is not paul's desire for one moment in time his desire is that right doctrine should lead to right practice, which is beneficial for individuals, it is beneficial for the church, and it is beneficial for society. And we trust that God will help us, if there is error in our lives, to understand from correct application of doctrine that correction of error would lead to uh, would lead to correction in us as individuals it would benefit our church and it would benefit our society as well uh, let's uh, close in prayer and thank you for listening it's warm up here uh, i guess it's warm where you're sitting as well let's uh, close in prayer <clears throat> father we do thank you for the examples that have been left for us in scripture we do marvel at uh, servants of God like the Apostle Paul who were all in as it were for Christ 
to the extent that he could present himself as an example that others would follow. Father, uh, how far away are we from, from holding ourselves up as examples that others should pattern their lives against? Uh, Father, where there's error in our lives, where there's wrong practice, where there's wrong doctrine, bring that to our attention. Help us to see the error of our ways. We know that you've left scripture for us to correct us, to instruct us, to encourage us, to exhort us, to build us up. Uh, help us from the consideration of your word this evening, uh, as sobering and serious as these matters are, to be encouraged and uh, built up in our faith. We thank you for the assembly here. We pray for those that are labouring uh, this week. Uh, we think of those labouring in in Wales that we've heard about and uh, uh, those on vacation, bless them uh, in a time of, of rest and relaxation, uh, we pray and bring them back uh, in safety in your will. Uh, bless us and uh, part us with your blessing, we ask, as we return thanks in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <coughs>